We're stewards of our time. We're stewards of the love of God. And we're stewards of the gifts that God has given to us. We're to use them wisely by the grace of God. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. I don't know all of you. I'm new to the church here. I'm Shelton Sanford. I'm the interim executive director here, and it's been such a wonderful privilege to be a part. So this morning, I look forward to breaking open the Word for you. And we're going to be looking today at 1 Peter chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open there with me. 1 Peter chapter 4. We'll start at verse 11 in just a few minutes. Now, today we're going to be talking about stewardship. And when we talk about the subject of stewardship, what immediately comes to your minds? Money, right. That's what everybody thinks about when we think about stewardship. Well, today I want to show you in the Scripture that stewardship is far more than money. Stewardship is a commitment to God, a calling from God, to be a faithful manager over everything that God has committed to us, entrusted to us, everything. In fact, there's an interesting principle that's given in the 24th Psalm, and it reads like this. The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. Now stop and think about that for a minute. Everything belongs to Him. Everything. And He's not just talking about our money. He's talking about everything. It all belongs to God. Now let me ask you this question. Do you believe that? That it belongs to Him? It's amazing when you stop and think about this at creation that God made us vice regents over everything that He created. In other words, He made us managers. He made us stewards of all that belongs to Him, and we are charged with the responsibility of managing all that He gives us well. Stewards are servants of their master. That's what stewardship is all about. Now, today in this passage we're going to look at, and we'll take you a little bit different way. We're going to look at three things about stewardship this morning. Here's the first one. Have you ever thought about the fact that you're to be a steward of your time? The time God that gives to you. Secondly, we're to be stewards of God's love. He has loved us. And therefore, He's loved us and given us His love. What are we going to do with it? And the third thing is stewardship. This is the way we think most oftenly of the gifts that God has given to us. Yes, our treasures. Yes, also our talents and all of those things. We're to be good stewards of those things. So, Let's go now to our passage. It's in 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning with verse 7. This is the very word of the living God. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-control so that you can pray. I'm going to read that again. I want you to let that one sink in. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. 
Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. You see what stewardship is? Faithfully administrating God's gifts in whatever form they come in. If anyone speaks, he should do it as if speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength that God provides so that, here's the ultimate end, in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. This is the Word of God. Would you pray with me? And this morning, Lord, we thank You that as we open the Scripture, we recognize, O Holy Spirit, that You inspired Peter to write these words. These are Your very words. And we also realize that you today illuminate the hearts of your people so that we can understand and apply your word. And I pray this morning that you move among us and that you open our hearts to be receptive to what we're going to hear this morning. For Jesus' sake, amen. That's interesting. Here is Peter talking about the subject of stewardship. And the first thing he does, kind of a startling statement when you say, the end of all things is near. Right? That's, that's kind of startling. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, obviously, what Peter is talking about there is the second coming of Jesus Christ. And you do understand that Jesus is coming again, right? He's coming again. And when he comes again in his glory with the angels with him on the clouds of heaven, we behold him, and that's when every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And there is the great day of judgment. This present earth as we know it will be done away with. There's new heaven and a new earth in which we will live forever. And in the new heaven and the new earth, there's no more suffering. There's no more tears. There's no more sorrow. There's no more death. There's no more sin. And I don't know about you, but I'm ready. That's what he's talking about, the consummation of all things. So Jesus is coming again. But now I want to bring you to another very important principle about time here. We don't know when that's going to be. It could be five minutes from now. It could be a hundred years from now. It could be a thousand years from now. Nobody knows that. And if anybody gives you a date, don't believe them because it won't be right. Some point, time comes to an end as we know it. That's why the 90th Psalm says, teach us to number our days so that we will get a heart of wisdom. Now, go back to this passage a minute and look at what Peter is saying here. A heart of wisdom. He uses two descriptions here. He says, be clear-minded and be self-controlled. Now, remember, he's talking about time here, whether the time is until Jesus comes, should we live until Jesus comes back, or the time when God chooses to take us home. He says, be clear-minded and be self-controlled, because time itself belongs to God and is a gift of God. And what Peter is really saying here, 
is that we are to live our lives with the end in mind. Think about that for a minute. I don't know about you, but when my end comes and I stand before Jesus, you know what I want him to say to me? Well done, don't you? We're to live with the end in mind. We're to be good stewards of the time that God has given to us. Now, let me get real practical here for a minute. What does your calendar tell you about your stewardship of time? I want to give you some thoughts about this. Number one, we have to be good stewards of our time when it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ. We understand that the gospel teaches us that Christianity is not a religion. It is a relationship with a person, Jesus Christ. That means we get to know Him. We experience His presence. We experience His love. And yet there are tons of people who sit in churches like this, evangelical churches like this, who have been sitting under the preaching of the Word for years and years and years and years, and they still don't understand that Christianity is a relationship with Jesus. And it's not about our own self-righteousness. It's not about all the good stuff we do. It's about a God in heaven who loves us so much that he came to us and his desire is that we enter into a relationship with him. That's what the faith is. Are we investing time developing that relationship with him? Are we spending time with him in prayer? It's interesting to me that this passage, look at the passage. It'll slide by you if you're not careful. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-control. Why? So that you can have a great life? What does it say there? So that you can pray. Isn't that something? Jesus himself, what did he do? On numerous occasions, he would withdraw from the crowd, go to a place of solitude. And he would spend hours there with his Father who is in heaven. What about us? I'm absolutely convinced of this. One of the great problems of why we can't live fruitful, effective lives is because the most basic of all our relationships is not there what it needs to be. And that is that we're spending time with Jesus to get to know him and to experience his love. Are you doing that? I don't want to move to the second one. That is your family. I've had the privilege since I've been the church here and actually been on staff since um, April, 1st of April. I've been able to meet with a, a number of people in the church. And in the last few weeks, I've, I've met with several young men in our church. And I'm hearing something that really disturbs me. And it was a common theme. Within, within two weeks, I heard this from five different young men. And this is the same thing, said different way, but here's what they were saying. We're trying to get our business built. I'm working 60 to 80 hours a week. I am exhausted when I get home. I'm emotionally depleted. There's a lot of stress in my marriage, and I don't have any time to see my kids. 
Other than that, everything's great. Well, there's a problem, right? Marriages are falling to pieces. And part of it is that we are not taking time to invest in the second most important relationship in life, and that is that of our families. You know, we have to spend, as husband and wives, we have to spend time knowing each other. And the problem is, when you begin to get children, and you've got your business going, you get these little children, you get stressed out, and there's almost no time that you have to spend together just being together. Learning how to have attachment with each other. Learning how to communicate with each other. Learning how to be together. We, we just don't do it. We don't have time. And it's no wonder that marriages are falling to pieces right and left. And with kids, Larry Crabb, a Christian psycho psychologist, written several books. But Larry Crabb says there are two basic needs that every person has. And he says in his practice that he has been able to, that he said, I'll tell you this, I can trace every kind of problem that I deal with with some of my clients to one, to a failure of one or both of these basic needs. And you know what he says they are? Security and significance. Security, to know that you're loved To know that you're safe. And significance. To know that you're accepted. And I'm going to tell you something. There are a lot of people sitting here this morning in these pews. And you know you don't feel that way. You've come out of homes where you don't sense that security and that significance. But I'm going to give you the good news. In spite of any failures in human relationships, there's a God in heaven who looks at you and who says, I love you. Period. Unconditionally sacrificially, I love you. And you're safe with me. You know, there's some of you in, the, in families, you don't feel safe. You don't feel safe. Maybe it's not abuse or anything like that. You just don't feel safe. And you sure don't feel loved. Or significance. What about that one? that you are accepted, that you matter. You know what God says of us? I find this hard to believe if I didn't know the Scripture. Isaiah 43, God actually says, you are precious in my sight. And I guarantee you something, there's some of you here that don't feel precious because you're in relationships where you don't feel that. But if you get anything out of this morning, I want you to hear this. There's a God in heaven who loves you with an infinite love and who accepts you and embraces you unconditionally because he loves you.
You know how much he loved you? He loved you enough to send his son here. And what did his son come to do? Go to a cross. What is the significance of the cross? The cross was a place of death. And Jesus goes to that cross, and there on the cross, he suffers, and he dies. Why? There have been plenty of martyrs who've died like that over the course of history. His was unique because he is the very Son of God, perfect in every way. And what did he do? He took our failures and our brokenness and our sinfulness and all of that, and he took it upon himself. And on that cross, he became a sacrifice for us and suffered and died so that our sins could be forgiven. There are some of us who've been in the church for 50, 60, 70 years. We've heard this over and over again. And you know what I call it? Gospel inoculation. We failed to appreciate the awesomeness of what I just said. God loves you, and Jesus came and died for you. And he adores you. And he embraces you. And he is with you. And he says to you, I love you, even though you don't feel loved. Are we taking time in our families to show that love, that love I just spoke of, that we've been entrusted with, to our spouses, to our children. Wow. Hmm. Sure does go by fast in this room. I want to move on to the second one of these, the priority of love. We're to be good stewards of our time, but we're also to be good stewards of the love of God. I've just been talking about that love of God. And it's interesting, this is what Peter says. Above all, listen to it, above all, the priority of priorities, above all, we're to love each other deeply. Some of your versions use the word fervently. An interesting word that means strained. We're to love each other fervently. I want to get right down to it. Look at what he says. When he speaks of this love, he immediately goes into this. He says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. How many of you heard that? Love covers a multitude of sins. You know it's in the Bible? Now, let me tell you something. That verse is totally misused by some. And here's the way they say it. Love covers a multitude of sins. I know I've done, some I've done some bad stuff in my life, so I got to go out and love, and if I love enough, it's going to make up for all the bad stuff in my life. Love covers a multitude of sin, right? That's not what this means. Love, your love, cannot atone for your sins. Only Jesus can. So what does he mean by this? Love covers a multitude of sins. It means that when someone hurts you, speaks unkindly about you, hurts your feelings, whatever they may do, you forgive them. 
love covers a multitude of sins. People who've offended me, love covers that. See it? One of the things that I really want to see here, I've talked to the staff a lot about this at our church. And that is that we need to cultivate a culture in this church of brokenness and grace. And that's true of almost any church I know. It's not just unique to, to this church. We need to cultivate a culture of brokenness and grace. And let me tell you what I mean by that. A, a culture of brokenness. We, this is not popular. We're all failures. We've all sinned. We've all hurt each other. We've said things we wish we hadn't have said. We've hurt others. And you know what? I look at this room, and I know one thing. We all have that in common. We can't go around with our self-righteousness that, oh, we got all, we, you know, we've got it all together, and we look at all these good things we do, and we do this. And Let me tell you something. The gospel breaks all that down. The gospel brings us to our knees. The gospel shows us our unworthiness. And here's the point. Because we are a forgiven people, we must become a forgiving people. Can I say that again? Because we are a forgiven people, we must become a forgiving people. We prayed a few minutes ago the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts. How? Repeat it. How did we pray? Say it. Does that not scare you? Have we? Now, what was the point? You know, Jesus, that's the only thing in the Lord's Prayer Jesus made, actually gave an explanation of, of that one petition. And what does he mean? Because Christians are a forgiven people, they must be a forgiving people. We've got to learn to live out our brokenness. And we've got to learn to be gracious with one another. Steve Brown, some of you perhaps have heard some of Steve's sermons. And uh, anyway, Steve, in his church when he was at Key Biscayne, was preaching one Sunday, and Steve said, uh, he was talking about just sin and how we're all in the same boat, we've all sinned. He said, I want to tell you something. If you knew everything about me, you would not want me to be your preacher. But then he went on to say, however, if I knew everything about you, I wouldn't want to be your preacher. <laughs> right? Well, we laugh at that, but there's a great truth to it. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. But we're forgiven in Jesus. We're stewards of the love of God that is a forgiving love that doesn't hold a wrong intact to be remembered. We talked about using part, managing our time so that we can be involved in ministry. 
I said, what does it take us in terms of member, and we're calling you member ministers, because you do, you know, we, we are out of the Reformed tradition, and we do understand the priesthood of all believers, which means that Stan and, and, and me and the other ministers, that's nothing special about us. There's nothing special about these black robes. We're just like you are. But God has enabled us to be able to study and know the Word so that we can equip you to be what God has called you to be, which is a, a ministers. Now, look at that. I, I don't have it right here in front of me, but it seems to me it was almost 1,900 opportunities for people to serve in this church. Don't you find that overwhelming? 1,900. And see, there are two culture changes, and I'm going to close with this. There are two culture changes I'm convinced we need of here. The first culture change I've already talked about, and that is to learn to live out our brokenness and to be gracious. A culture of brokenness and grace. The second one is a culture of equipping and ministry. Now, I've been a senior minister 40-something years, 30 years in one church. Some of those people in my church are here this morning. They were there 30 years. I'm surprised they're back listening again after all those years, you know. But, but I know one thing. We on the staff, we're not supposed to do all the ministry here. We're supposed to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. And that means that every one of us is to be engaged in meaningful ministry. And over the next weeks, just want you to think about that. Where can I plug in? Where can I be used? And I want you to think about this, what Brian left us with last week. Brian talked about the three places. First place being your neighborhood and your home. We saw a need across the street from us. What about you, around you? You willing to minister to people like that? Love them? Second place, where you work and in your schoolroom. You got people that you work with side by side who desperately need to hear good news. And we've got it. Or in the third place, the place where we play, the place where we, we relax, the golf course, the gym, whatever it is. There are people there all around us desperately in need of the gospel. We're stewards of our time. We're stewards of the love of God. And we're stewards of the gifts that God has given to us. We're to use them wisely by the grace of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time in the Word, and much more needs to be said. But I pray that you take these words, that you draw them deeply into our hearts, and that you speak to us, God. Where conversations around the dinner table need to be held today or this afternoon with husbands and wives or parents and children. May that happen. Where there needs to be confession, may that happen. Where there needs to be repentance, where there needs to be forgiveness, where there needs to be love, where there needs to be grace. God granted this day because you've made us stewards of your grace. We give you thanks as we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Join us Wednesday evenings at First Presbyterian Church in downtown Greenville. Our Wednesday Advantage program includes an affordable meal and elective classes for adults with Bible study and music for youth and children. Topics include theology, culture and archaeology, family life, Christian discipleship, prayer and more. Fall semester begins Wednesday, September 2nd. Visit firstpresgreenville.org or call 235-0496 for more details.